Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. To Bite Into It this evening in studio, we've got Mr. Dan Salmon. Good evening. And coming at us from a secret mountaintop location, uh, Paul Callahan. Hello. G'day. And I'm Vanessa Taholka. I'm coming at you from under a safety towel, Hitchhiker Guide <laughs> recommended. So, <laughs> so we hope that you're all comfy and keeping cosy out there on what is a very wet night in Melbourne, or if you're listening remotely, that you're very comfortable wherever you're listening from. Tonight, local success story, Creately, will be joining us helping us understand how we're all responding to our changing work environments, how we're working remotely in clever ways and how we're collaborating. So that's coming up later this evening. Before we get there, there's a fair bit of news to cover. We've tried to make sure it's not all, you know, virus-related. That's our, that's our promise to you. Um, first of all, we wanted to do a bit of a shout-out to a guest we had last week, Dr Vanessa Teague, who is one of, of many... Uh, sorry, one of many academics who've signed on to a uh, letter to the government, an open letter about COVID app being opened for review. So it's something that I think a lot of our listeners would be particularly interested in. And if you are, I recommend that you can go to covidapp.opentransparent.org and view the statement from academic and industry experts it's a who's who of people in this field in Australia and um, I think it's interesting to understand what they're asking for in addition to uh, the current things that we know about the app. It's, uh, it's a pretty interesting time for that. Absolutely. And I think the interest, one of the more interesting things, and the, there is a kind of a list of, I suppose, requests that the, that the letter comes to uh, for the government to... I suppose, build trust in the app. The first one, and it is something that Vanessa Teague did bring up when we interviewed her, was that they want to openly publish all the source code for design specifications and testing results to the public. Um, now, the the government has promised initially to publish the source code within two weeks of it being released, but they've now uh, gone walked that back a little bit and said that there are certain parts of the code which they want to remain secret. So uh, that'll be an interesting um, development in the next few weeks. Yeah, so that being said, uh, hasn't stopped people having a good crack. So if you're interested in hearing the views of people who've taken the Android version of the app and reverse engineered it, I would go to Twitter and check out Matthew R. Dev. So it's a Matthew with two Ts and then the letter R for Roger and then D-E-V for Dev. And they have an entire thread where they've gone through what they can tell uh, from unpacking the software from the Android version of the app. It's, it's a very interesting read. And I think that it probably would reassure some people that in terms of software, you're not looking at malicious software. It's not poorly designed or anything. Uh, instead, I think what echoes uh, the, the requests from the academic industry groups, it's more about the choices being made and, and how some could be a bit better. And then I guess it's, it's about protections and the balance of, of privacy and the precedent that things set. Um, but from a pure dev point of view, that's, that's where we're at. Paul, what, what did you think of um, the ongoing analysis in this space? 
Yeah, I, I find it I find it really fascinating, and it's it's interesting how I mean, the, as is frequently the case, how the community is sort of filling in a lot of those really deep interrogative um, sort of tasks and thinking and, and commentary um, of it, and really, I mean, you know, decompiling the code and really figuring out like the deep detail of what it's doing, and I'm sure loads of our listeners will be much more across that side of things than I am. Um, but the other part of it is that I find equally fascinating is the the sort of the social engineering that, that we're starting to see roll out. Um, I suspect largely as a result of all of this resistance um, and all of this kind of critical engagement um, with uh, with the 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 software. Um, so Scott Morrison has obviously come out and started talking about it. And sort of some of the quotes are quite interesting. Um, so Scott Morrison, I think just today, has said, we would encourage all Australians, if you want to see us return to the more eased restrictions that I know you're looking forward to and that I'm looking forward to, then it is important that you download the COVID Safe app. Um, this is the ticket to ensuring that we can have eased restrictions and Australians can go back to the lifestyle and the many things that they previously were able to do. And this is important. Um, and then he goes on to compare it to sunscreen and the importance of sunscreen. Um, <laughs> I hadn't seen this. Yeah, I think it, it's quite recent. Um, and he encourages, like, convince two or three more people that haven't downloaded the app to do the same thing. And... You know, like everyone who's sort of been around technology and been around sort of like hacking and things like that understands like the technology is only the the one part of it. Like this kind of social engineering and social pressure um, is really important. So like the sunscreen thing is a broken metaphor, like fundamentally, but it's an interesting one to sort of roll out from a public safety thing. But talking about this being the path to getting back to normal um, I really think that's a message that we're going to hear, like increasingly um, over the next few weeks. Um, but and there's a you know, huge burden when you hear that message. That that feeling of wanting to support social cohesion and and be a good neighbour and be a good member of your community. And I think we're particularly community minded at Triple R. Uh, so it's it's quite tough to hear those messages when you're a little sceptical. Uh, about the precedent that it sets and, and the trade-offs here. Yeah, for sure. And like apparently uh, like 2.8 million Australians have installed the app, which is about 11% of the country. Um, and the government's previously said that around 40% is what's needed in order for it to be completely effective. Um, so over the next, you know, the next few weeks, if, if the curve continues to flatten and if we start to see other countries like New Zealand sort of emerge from, um, you know, their kind of much more string, stringent lockdowns, it'd be interesting to see how the, those numbers sort of play out as well. Mm, mm. Well, enough virus for now. <laughs> uh, what has been going on in computer security, Paul? What's happened with uh, Nintendo? Uh, so just this past week, um, Nintendo had uh, a massive data breach. So 160,000 um, Nintendo accounts um, were compromised. Um, so basically this is the, like if you've got a Nintendo Switch uh, or you've got, um, for those of you who, who might have a Wii U um, or even a 3DS um, your account that lets you buy games and sort of upload things to the cloud. Um, that's all been, uh, 160,000 of those have been compromised. You should have been emailed um, if you were one of the people. Like Nintendo seemed to have got on it uh, quite quickly. Um, and they're encouraging everyone to enable two-factor authentication 
um, on their accounts, which can be done at um, accounts.nintendo.com slash security. Um, Nintendo claims that uh, it's only really uh, personal information and no credit card details um, were, were breached. They haven't uh, revealed uh, how the breach might have happened. 160,000 seems like, like quite a lot. Um, but yeah, if, if that's happened to you, then go in and, and, and change up. And, you know, like it does feel we're seeing bigger versions of these, but perhaps slightly fewer. I don't know how, how both of you feel. I, I haven't had a breach in a long time, so I'm feeling quite lucky, but yeah, this feels, this feels like, yeah, significant, but not earth shattering. Yeah, I feel fortunate not to have been affected by any of these, but I don't use the same password anywhere and, uh, you know, take those basic steps for protection. And um, and hopefully that gives us a bit of a, a, a sense of security and, and less likelihood of, of being caught up in these big sweeps. But but sometimes it's just an exploit. It's It can be cross-pollination. It could be all sorts of things. Really glad to hear that credit card details weren't involved in this particular one. Does that mean people's bells are being stolen in Animal Crossing? This, <laughs> just turnips. Loads of people have just got like piles of turnips. Like, <laughs> turn up at their shame. house. That's a great shame. Dan, was it you who found um, this news piece about comedians doing sets? It, it, it wasn't. Via Zoom? It wasn't uh, me who found it, but I, I do really enjoy it. Like, obviously, we're. It's a bit. It's a bit still COVID related. You know, we're trying to find new, interesting <laughs> ways to kind of remain connected and, and find some semblance of normal of normality. And um, we're seeing a, a lot of uh, comedians, stand-up comedians, actually doing uh, sets. Obviously, you know, this time of year, normally the comedy festival is on, and there's a lot of comedy happening. So, um, you know, there there are plenty of uh, comedians who are sitting at home, uh, wondering what to do with their time, and they're actually uh, doing Zoom sets, which. It's it's an interesting idea, especially considering that um, you know the, a lot of the kind of dynamic of stand up is the interaction between the audience and and the stand up themselves. So um, I'd, I'd be fascinated to see how it works. But I don't know, guys. Have you have you uh, tuned into any of these? I haven't, but I've been very excited to see that Judith Lucy's special is coming up on Stan, or it's available on Stan now because I heard her on Breakfasters the other morning. So that was very exciting. What about you, Paul? Uh, yeah, I've been watching some of the. I haven't seen any of the live um, comedy yet, but I've definitely been, as, as I'm sure everyone is, just like Netflix and Amazon and just like constant TV on in the background. Um, what I find most interesting about about this particular um, sort of process is that they they tried it with an audience at one point, and they were just like, "This is too hard." Like they're, and so they've, <laughs> they've decided that like actually silence and like not getting any feedback on their jokes is preferable to this hundred person Zoom um, of all of these people in the well, audience. Well, if this was a sitcom, that would be the classy approach to take, right? <laughs> totally. Just and like set set up your own laugh track, like just push a little button. Oh, they wouldn't cope if they don't like the feedback. Um, in in China, when you use apps to stream this sort of content, you know your screen is actually taken over with the floods of feedback that you get real time during oh. during a set. So what, what? it's uh, it's kind of fascinating how there's cultural differences at play there. Absolutely. What's the largest Zoom you guys have been involved with yet? Because I know Vanessa, you and I are sometimes involved with a, a trivia quiz on a Saturday afternoon, and it, it's gotten pretty huge. Uh, in in certain weeks, uh, what, what what do you reckon? Like, it's hard for me to think of that as huge. So you were talking maybe thirty five people, <laughs> well, I think, yeah, in a session like that. that. Yeah. So I was in a webcast today for five and a half thousand people. Yeah. So uh, oh, that yeah. was not hosted by Zoom, I've got to say. <laughs> so I think there's there's a level where you need a certain robustness. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. I think mm. five for me, but maybe I've got less friends. 
Poor. Yeah, but I've got lots yeah. of turnips and Animal Crossing, so that's... <laughs> well, no, that's... <laughs> Never say so, Paul. You've got a friend in me. <laughs> um, I think it's time for us to hear some music this evening. We would love to hear from King Cruel with Supermarsh and then be back with the co-founder and CEO of Creately, a visual canvas tool. He's going to be sharing lots of insights into our working from home sitch at the moment. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. Welcome back to Triple R. It's seven seventeen. We're really happy to have you with us. Hi. I'm we. We've never seen more businesses move to enable remote working. So software companies have increased demand to support our needs to connect, collaborate, and deliver great work. Chandika Jayasundara is the co-founder of Creately, a visual canvas piece of software. They started in Melbourne in 2008, and tonight we want to hear from them about how business needs are changing. Welcome, Chandika. Uh, thank you. Good to be on. Um, happy to... Uh... Happy to help, happy to uh, share any insights that I can uh, because things are changing. Fabulous. <laughs> so Creately began as a team of four people in Melbourne way back in 2008 when you launched a first product. Can you yeah. tell us a bit about how your journey has accelerated from that time? So um, so we started in Melbourne Uni, uh, me and uh, four friends of us, uh, and uh, we, we, uh, we, uh, we saw a gap in how people collaborated visually uh, on the web. Uh, there wasn't any. There, there weren't any good tools to help you do that. And uh, so we basically built something out. Uh, then uh, you know went through a, like a, a university uh, uh, entrepreneurship competition. We we got second place at the Melbourne Business School uh, that competition. And uh, that. Uh, yeah. So we got uh, we got some uh, some uh, very basic support from there. Then. After that, um, uh, we decided that we we're actually going to come into this and really build out a company around it, and uh, then uh, uh, raise some seed funding, uh, uh, hire a few more people. Uh, I actually to uh, head up the, uh, the so most of the work was uh, you know, a lot of engineering because it's a, a very uh, deep tech sort of space, um, and uh, not a lot of uh, you know. Uh, 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 right now, if you look on the web, there are lots of tools and uh, uh, libraries that you can build something out like Creately with, at least get started with. At that point, there weren't any, so we had to do a lot of you know groundwork. Uh, so we hired a few uh, engineers. I am originally from Sri Lanka, uh, so uh, we couldn't afford a lot of engineers in Australia. Uh, so I flew back to Sri Lanka, hired a team there, and uh, we got going from there. And then, ah. um, yeah. So then after that, we uh, initially got some uh, great coverage. We launched at uh, you know. Uh, TechCrunch uh, Disrupt, which is now, as in, which was TechCrunch 50 at the time, then now it's TechCrunch Disrupt. So we got chosen for that. And we also launched a demo, uh, which was a huge tech conference at, at the at the time in the US. Um, so those are very competitive places. And I think we were one of the first Aussie companies to uh, even get there. So that was quite fun. Uh, and that gives us a good bootstrap to launch the company from. Uh, which we, uh, you know, went ahead and accelerated from there. We had a few. It's very impressive. Yeah. Like picking, yeah. being picked up by that TechCrunch audience early on was, you know, it's still very coveted. It is. It is. Yeah. 
so did you have very many false starts or pivots along the way or were you sort of thinking purely a visual collaboration tool from the start we had we had a whole bunch of pivots in the way um and uh, so the first pivot was uh, forced on us because uh um uh, in 2008 2009 there was the global financial crisis the last uh you know economic downturn that everybody uh you know remembers uh and then uh, so we couldn't raise a, a huge amount of funding at the time uh, so we had to buckle up and uh, figure out what kind of product can we deliver to the market so we got that done a very basic version of creately uh, and then uh, along the in the middle of the way um, we uh, uh, we couldn't exp- you know things didn't grow go, go according plan on due to various things uh, but we uh, we found our footing somewhere in the middle we became profitable uh, we grew the team slowly uh, but the real change in the company happened uh, you know from uh, the beginning of last year uh, we launched a brand new version of creately that is completely redesigned reimagined um, for you know for today's uh, visual collaboration needs and we've been you know growing gangbusters since then uh, so um, so yeah so we've been uh, we've been growing you know uh, at, at our scale with 3 million users uh, we've been almost going at uh, you know uh, 20% month on month as we went. And uh, uh, then uh, after this COVID crisis happened, uh, we uh, our demand literally doubled. Uh, because, wow. uh, so, you know, it, it, so we found some great product market fit uh, with, uh, with the new version of the product. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've, uh, we're growing quite fast now. So I guess, you know, in technology reporting at the moment, we're hearing similar stories from all sorts of software companies who are enabling collaboration. You must have done a lot of research to get your product to the the level it is now. Um, Have you had to go out and do further research at this point to try and understand what might be different about the growth and the appetite at this moment? Or has it just escalated within your, almost within your product roadmap, within your current, um, current audience base? So our current audience, uh, as in we have, we have uh, so what we're seeing is really Creately's uh, core audience is uh, mostly uh, uh, across different functions. So from software teams to marketing teams, uh, even you know uh, uh, medical uh, you know uh, tech teams uh, across the board, people need to collaborate visually, right? Because uh, uh, whenever you're trying to communicate something complex. Uh, you know, uh, as a cliche goes, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. Uh, a, a, pro- a diagram is probably worth a lot more uh, in the given context. So <laughs> that's uh, that, so that's an essential use use case that most people were turning to Creately for all this time. Um, but uh, uh, but previously, you also had in-person communication and whiteboards that you could sit around and paper that you could write stuff on. Uh, but now the difference is that you don't have it, and the 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 change to uh, you know work from home for everybody means that you need to have absolute clear communication. Uh, otherwise, there's there's so much miscommunication, and that leads to mistrust, other management problems. So um, more and more teams are realizing the need for this, and our own customer base is actually giving us uh, a lot of uh, insight and input, uh, saying you know we'd like this, we'd like this to happen, and so on. So on our roadmap, what we've had for uh, to do something maybe towards the end of the year that was focused on team collaboration. We've just accelerated that forward and brought that forward and we are working on that stuff uh, uh, as a much higher priority right now. So we just changed our roadmap 
uh, as immediately as this thing hit. Uh, and that actually has benefited uh, our growth as well. Uh, it's really interesting to hear. Um, it's it's very easy to think of the use case where you've got a team sitting around and instead of uh, collaborating in an analog kind of visual way with a whiteboard, for example, you know, lots of people have switched to virtual whiteboards in that situation. But adding the remote aspect to it, you've suddenly got to use some sort of web conferencing solution with that. Have you um, done any work kind of partnering or or, or syncing with different companies that, that offer different products that are compatible with yours? Uh, yeah, so um, so an essential part of uh, working from home is something to uh, uh, a basic chat platform. So we connect with uh, uh, Slack right now. Uh, so Microsoft Teams integration is on the way right now. Um, and uh, so we connect with uh, Google Drive um, as well as uh, uh, something that we are, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm just gonna uh, say it anyway because we're doing it. Uh, in the in the next couple of weeks, we are bringing in a, a video uh, into the product as well, so you could start a conference and work around around a diagram. Because really, what you need is sometimes you just want to sit around something that you can uh, change uh, and draw and point at and uh, discuss it through. Uh, so if you're doing a design or a a plan, uh, that's uh, so. As in so many people are asking for it, uh, we just had to bring that up and uh, we didn't even have it in our plans, but we just brought it in and we're just working on it right now. Yeah, I think especially that pointing is very valuable. <laughs> um, I'm really interested in um, what, what you were saying about, you know, you just brought things like earlier in, in your roadmap. Like how, when, you, when you're a company which is like so focused or when you're a team that's so focused on sort of online um, and this kind of collaboration process, like how, when you know the global pandemic hit, how how did the team feel about about that? Like, was there like a moment of freaking out, or were you immediately like, this is an opportunity for us? Uh, so it, it's two things, right? It's uh, uh, one thing we immediately noticed is that the number of user signups, you know, doubled, uh, you know, in a in a in, in a couple of weeks, and we had. We had to deal with server trouble initially, um, uh, so our infrastructure had to be cleaned out. Uh, that was a you know internal panic. But then the team, um, so everybody understands this is un, you know completely unprecedented, right? We uh, we we haven't seen anything like this. Um, so as a company, uh, the 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 most important thing is that uh, as in you know the the people have to have to be protected first, their health. And so everyone's remote. We went remote even before, uh, you know, other companies or teams went remote because we could, uh, we are a tech company. Um, but then the second stage is how do we, how do you survive as a company and our, our organization beyond the looming recession, the global recession, that's gonna be, you know, quite, you know, drawn out. So we don't know what the variables around that is. So the fastest to, fastest to adapt uh, is, would be the survivors. So what we actually switched on to from fixed roadmaps, uh, we spoke among the leadership team and uh, we decided, okay, uh, we need to be super sensitive to the market conditions, uh, really read into what's happening, what's being picked up, uh, what are people using, uh, what kind of content do people need to create um, and really be, uh, be aligned to that. So uh, we've actually, as a company, slightly changed our positioning uh, slightly changed our messaging uh, to really cater to this audience that's that's being uh, you know be asking for a tool like this. 
Um, so that makes a lot of, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Sorry, go on, go on. Uh, so another thing that we did actually uh, in in so so many teams are right now. So uh, we speak to our customers and so many companies uh, and organizations don't have budgets to allocate. They need our product, but they don't have the budget, right? Uh, because uh, you know funding is frozen. You can't really adopt new tools, evaluate new tools. So we made globally. 50% off on all our team plans. And that's actually had a very positive reaction from lots of lots of uh, teams who need to need it. We are, we are taking a financial hit, but still it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, I think it's important, something important that we should do as a company that could do it. And the other thing that, that we're actually doing now is we are giving all Australian companies uh, Creately for free uh, for the next three months. Um, so, because, you know, uh, uh, we're an Australian company. Uh, we want to help where we can, and that's something that uh, that's on offer right now. So companies can write to our uh, support email and uh, claim that offer, um, and uh, uh, you know completely use it for free. Uh, because yeah, we as in we we got to contribute where we can, and uh, we are in a position because uh, to do that. That's quite an amazing offer, Chandika. That's that's pretty generous. Um, it's it's no mean feat to try and grow a company like this. It's a very competitive market out there. I wonder when you when you started thinking about moving into this space, uh, it wasn't quite such a crowded market. How have you been responding to you know the increased uh, competition and differentiating yourself and finding your way you know towards your strengths and finding your audience? Uh, so yeah, so when we first started, uh, the the only players in the market was uh, uh, Visio, Microsoft Visio, and mm. and uh, Gliffy uh, was a US based company, um, and uh, just that. Uh, so mm. then um, there are a few others desktop based products, but uh, no one had major market share. Uh, but now there's a there's a huge bunch of players here. Uh, how we differentiate is primarily uh, by realizing the fact that most people do not like to draw. Right, so our product is actually designed particularly for people who do not want to draw but want to communicate visually, right? So, uh, so people say you know things are easy to use and so on, but that's not the deeper meaning behind it. Uh, so, how we look at diagrams is actually uh, diagrams are like a bicycle for drawing, right? So you can you can draw faster, you you communicate your stuff faster because we give you a structure to communicate around. So. Our product is built on those fundamentals so that it's super easy to do that. And then the step two is what we are really trying to do with our new product and new positioning is to really look at how do people uh, uh, in private, how do people really uh, work on their notes? How do the people think? So if you take your notebook, you'll have your handwritten notes and your sketches, right? When was the last time you opened a laptop and started doing that, you'd always type because that's the primary <laughs> interface you have. So why aren't you drawing on your laptop, even though you do that on paper? Uh, so the real, you know, the million or the billion dollar question that we are answering is because nobody actually have invented that piece of software to help you do that on devices like this. So that's what's really driving the company. And that's really what's uh, the underlying thinking behind our product. And that's what, the, so it's, it's a very early stage of, as of our second iteration of our product, but uh, people are responding positively to it. And that's why we are growing. And that's why we are, we, as in, at first glance, you wouldn't see a lot of difference, but when you get into Creately, uh, those people really see the difference and they convert to paid users. That's how it works.
Cool. Um, so, I mean, you've got like you were sort of mentioning you've had this incredible growth in in users, and I, I do from from looking at your website, you know, you've got these customers that, in, that include Amazon and PayPal um, and National Geographic. So, I assume you've got everything from like someone just noodling around in their bedroom to these giant companies. And I'm really curious, like, what sort of view does that give you on how people are adapting and 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 you know best practices for working from home? Um, yeah, so that's a great question, right? So this this is a common question that we've gotten uh, a fair number of times. We actually uh, wrote out a very comprehensive guide on working from home uh, on our site. So it's it's on the top banner. If you go there, you'll uh, you'll have a you know lot of detail on how to do how what what practices to adopt. So a few things I'll I'll just quickly point out is that so working from home is not just finding people to uh, letting people ha having a separate office space and getting on Zoom. Uh, that's not that's not the basic of it. So, uh, because to get the, the real question is, how can somebody, how can a team be productive from home, right? That's the real, you know, real question. So all the way from selecting a good set of uh, collaboration tools uh, upfront. So what we generally recommend is a chat platform like maybe Slack or, uh, or, or Microsoft Teams uh, then uh, get a get a good common um, you know uh, uh, documents uh, collaboration platform maybe uh, yes Office 365 or Google Drive uh, and then uh, add on a visual collaboration tool like Creately so that you have can actually see things that what you're working on and do some planning and then you need to set, set you need to revisit, revisit your company uh, policies and structures to so say you know this is how we communicate this this is where we put our documents. This is what we. Uh, uh, these are the times, fixed times that we catch up. Uh, those, so those are basics, right? Then you actually have to go into the thinking of how do I manage uh, the team culture? How do I actually set expectations for different people uh, on the team? Uh, because people generally, uh, you know, so in a in a matter of weeks, the entire working population had to switch to work from home, uh, and most people have never done this. So. Um, the biggest problem, the first problem that people will face is communication. So you need to have, you know, better than email communication all the time. Uh, so more video is, is obviously helpful, but, you know, it's also very distracting. Um, so, uh, so you know, uh, the bunch of tools, right? The, uh, the, the, the multiple layers of tools are from, from chat, instant messaging, to uh, video calls, to collaboration tools like Creately. Uh, those help, help that stack. Then you have... Um, other practices of how do I do meetings, how do I do documents, and so on and so forth. Then you also have to get into things like how do I build trust as a remote team? How do I uh, set uh, expectation? How do I set, set up my culture? How do I help people battle loneliness and distractions? People go to office uh, to like you know to socialize, right? So how do I make room for that? Uh, how do I brainstorm? How do I plan? So all those questions uh, are you know are topics on their own, but really. Um, uh, I think uh, 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 what leaders and managers need to really think about is that it's not simply uh, you know splashing on some uh, you know putting on some tools on your team. It's a, a it's a new it's a new management method, right? So you gotta evolve with that uh, and and really uh, you know spend time learning how to uh, how to really do it. Uh, some companies have been doing it for a long time, so there are lots of best practices out there. Um, but it's not as in when non-tech companies will find it very difficult initially. 
Chandika, um, what you're saying there makes a lot of sense, you know, as a piece of software can only get us so far. We've got to create the right culture and behaviours around that to really embed the change. Uh, something that I often um, hear from people trying new software that lets you, you know, create is to ask about templates to give them idea of, of where they can take this tool. Is, is that something that you support? Do you have some sort of template library? Oh, yes. So we, uh, so Creately has, uh, has about, you know, uh, a thousand professional creative templates and, and about a million user-generated templates to start with. And that's one of the biggest draws for Creately. Um, so uh, so moving on from the whole point that, you know, people really don't like to draw, people would rather pick an image. What as in, So when you go in to try to communicate something, you have something in your mind that, okay, this, this is what I want to sort of put it out. I've seen a picture like this. Uh, if I can find that exact thing and not draw it, that'll be the you know, that'll be the easiest thing to do. So that's what we try to do a lot. We, we have a huge template library and we keep on adding to it uh, and our users keep contributing to it as well. And uh, that's a big draw for lots of users on Creately. That makes sense. You used the example of a bicycle before and um, I laughed to myself because it's famously difficult to draw a bicycle. It's often a bit of a test if you want to get into graphic design, <laughs> you know, like draw us yeah. a bicycle in your portfolio, you know. Um, I wonder, have you, did you ever, in one of your um, little pivots along the way, did you ever investigate the idea of a machine learning approach to, you know, recognising what someone's trying to draw and, and investigate that pathway? Um, so, We've we've amused about that, right? But we've stayed away from it because what? So uh, honestly, how we how you look at how, how you look at the world right now is not how it should be on a digital platform. So you drawing by hand, as in if you're if you're if you're if you're just drawing boxes and squares uh, squares and circles, then it's fine. But if you're trying to communicate something a little bit hard, more elaborate. Uh, it's always going to be far more inefficient. So our our thinking is actually we don't want to recognize what you draw. What if you just you know place your pencil and then you pick what you want to have there, right? So that's really the experience that we would like to go after, uh, rather than because other than you explaining, as in drawing is a much more cruder way of saying what you want on the screen. If you could say it, if you could type it, if you could tell the computer or the device this is this is what i want here uh, that would be you know much faster so our priority is speed uh, you know how fast can you get this on canvas uh, and drawing is a, is a subpar method to do that so Chandika, have you have you got any tool sets? For example, if you've got like engineers, you know, drawing circuit diagrams or what have you in in your tool, you know, can they pull from a list of diodes and what have you and pull things in? Have you had that sort of use case come up before? Uh, so we actually don't don't have a tool set for uh, you know uh, electronic diagramming uh, because mm. there are very good tools in that space that engineers like to use. Ah, oh, very interesting. There you go. Uh, um, so yeah, so we pick pick our battles very carefully. Yeah. Uh, because uh, so for some uh, areas of engineering and and uh, you know uh, uh, some professions, uh, you have very deep tools. As in, we would never try to be a CAD uh, computer design tool or a, a sure. computer tool. We don't have architectural shapes uh, or yeah. in our tool because you know you have Autodesk and other well-established tools in that that segment. So what we go after are the general business users, software designers, marketers. The general business, the, the the larger part of the pie, right? Yeah. 
So marketers, right. So that would be a case where you'd expect to see, you know, a style guide, an icon set, that sort of thing. You know, do you, do you get that sort of use case coming through the tool? Uh, yes, all the time. So people try to define their brand guides on Creately. They do their sitemaps. They do their wireframes. They do their campaign plans. They do their, you know, uh, you know, drip campaign float flows uh, and people collaborate around it and, you know, try to optimize it. Um, so they do a lot of that uh, on Creately. Amazing. All right. Well, I think we've gotten to a point where we um, have a much better idea now, both of what Creately does, but also over some of the the working from home, working remotely trends that you're you're, you're experiencing. Uh, Chandika, thank you so much for sharing uh, your story tonight and that offer for new Australian business users if they want to go in and and try Creately for some months for free. Um, it's worth checking it out at Creately.com. C-R-E-A-T-E-L-Y.com. Chandika, thanks so much for being with us this evening. Thank you so much. Um, uh, It was a pleasure. Absolute pleasure to have you. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. Um, we have a bit of something in weird news of the week this week. Did you know that you could use artificial intelligence to create a virtual moving video conference space? That's right. Move over conference backgrounds. It's now all about how can you use a fake face to disguise your identity and enter your next meeting as Albert Einstein, perhaps. A little Marie Curie or maybe, you know, someone... Actually, contemporary. <laughs> Someone who, who right people wouldn't know the faces Someone of. feasible. <laughs> that could be fun. Is, is uh, this similar to the one where the woman turned herself into a potato? No. Uh, Did you see that? I feel that? like that was a less intelligent version <laughs> of this, Dan. Come on, only the best recommendations for our audience. Of course. So this is a, this is a tool that is called Avatarify. And it allows you to convert images into movable avatars of your face. Now, it only launched on the 12th of April this month. And a tutorial for Windows installation came out um, just last week. So it's now accessible to a lot more users because before you had to be quite skilled to be able to install this. And what you can do is get sample faces. Um, It could be anything like the Mona Lisa or what have you. So if you wanted to enter one of those amazing museum art challenges, hey, you you could do it with AI. But it has really hefty um, uh, hardware requirements to run the program because it's got to do real-time facial mapping between your expressions and the expressions of the the, um, subject that you've chosen to use as kind of a mask. So there's a GitHub page all about it. If that's your jam, check check out uh, Avatarify. you can hit about 33 frames per second with an NVIDIA GeForce GTX 1080 Ti, if that gives you a sense of the sort of uh, graphics processing power that you need. Sure. Um, I guess and the main point is that, you know, they, they also give you a low end and they say, hey, if you tried doing this with a 2018 MacBook Pro, which would be newer than mine, by the way, <laughs> and you didn't have a graphics processing unit, you could probably only get one frame per second. So it's only one for ambitious, you know, well, um, well-endowed well hardware users, yeah. <laughs> so so you're saying that the Surface Pro that most people were sent home with by their stingy offices is probably not going to cut it for this? I'm afraid not. It's not for them. <laughs> I'm just saying more software than hardware, yeah. <laughs>
Oh, look at Paul. that. What's Paul. been happening in the um... – oh, sorry. Sorry, Dan. No, no, no. You go right ahead. <laughs> we're, we're, we're learning how to do this, guys. We are. So it's the it's the first it's the first show like this. Um, sticking with uh, with video conferencing, uh, I've been looking at um, specialguest.best, which is a website, um, and it's a video conferencing marketplace where you can hire unusual and wonderful guests to join you uh, in your Zoom meetings. And then um, you can be Zoom bombed by a celebrity. Uh, it's it's not celebrities, but you can basically hire people um, to to join your meeting to fulfill certain to fulfill functions. So they have um, they have a guest who will act as a hype friend. Um, so during your during your Zoom meeting, they'll always have your back. Um, there's a human timer. Um, so if you've got someone in your all of your Zoom meetings uh, who always talks too much, this guest will be like tapping their watch and making sure things go on. <laughs> There's a critic uh, that you can hire. There's a bar. I feel like if you've you hired some... one this evening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you've got some particularly mundane meetings, you can hire the bard and they will play epic music about the meeting in the meeting. Oh, um, that's incredible. That's it is, it is incredible. So that's a, that's a special guest.best. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting project. Are there project. women for all people's virtual Tinder dates that are going on at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or like, you know, bailout people. So you need to give them a code. <laughs> so sorry, you need to go right now. So, so Paul, you're, so, you're, saying, you're saying that there aren't act like, you know, known celebrities on this one, but I would put money on Bill Murray appearing in one of these. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, what's really interesting oh, about I... it is it. What's really interesting about it is it sort of it functions as a um, a sort of artist collective. So the work has been done by the people who are doing the the Zoom bombing. So I'm sure if if someone managed to get Bo Murray and say, "Do you want to come and join our weird, you know, Zoom bombing arts collective?" <laughs> he was up for it. You could get him. Um, Amazing. I, I am putting in a request for a gorillagram. <laughs> <laughs> you could offer again. to be a gorillagram. It sounds very 80s, doesn't it? I feel like it's that sort of flavour that we're missing out on in these times. I, I reckon it's only a matter of time before one of um, our, our Zoom calls to air ends up with a, a bard just appearing halfway through the call. <laughs> I really hope I have happens. I have a long list of people to invite on for future shows. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Triple R, you're with Bite into it with Dan, Paul, and Vanessa. Thanks for being with us for this last little bit tonight. Uh, we heard a fair bit about uh, software that can help enable people's remote ways of working tonight with Creately co-founder. But Info Exchange, uh, another uh, local organisation who've put together a lot of resources um, for the not-for-profit sector and they know that they're particularly um, hard hit in their ways of working at this time. So if you're interested in that, go to infoexchange.org and um, check out their news section. There's some prominent um, information there about not-for-profit technology resources for the COVID-19 crisis. And it's really brilliant um, how much they've been able to add together. Um, they've also they've talked about how you can set up Microsoft Teams for free, um, how you can access LinkedIn Learning, uh, and you know pick up if you've got 
not as much on your plate as you normally would at this time. Maybe you can um, build some extra skills or uh, tap into some industry experts. Uh, they talk about Dropbox options for file hosting and then uh, go to meeting an option. Slack, we're always hearing about that for messaging and tools and files. Um, for most not-for-profits, Slack's already free, but um, to help the influx of new users get up to speed quickly, they're doing a range of free webinars with live Q&As, consultations by phone, and information on working from home best practices, which you know everyone's really leapt on. Um, you've got to kind of find your own way there in terms of your workplace culture and what will work. It's a big challenge. Uh, Paula, any of these tools sounding familiar to you? Yep, well, yep. Uh, I, teams, I spend like a lot of time at the moment uh, wrangling teams. Um, actually, like coming back to some of that work for home conversation, I'm trying very hard to make sure, like thinking about like even just the telephone. It was interesting not to hear the telephone as well. It's just like when you want to go for a walk but still have a chat with someone, like getting away from teams and constantly staring um, at a screen. It's like it's super important. And it um, tends to use a lot less battery as well. So that can be important when you're trying to manage, you know, how much time can I spend away from the desk? How much do I yeah. have to be yeah, tied to it? Yep, yep that's yeah. true. Um, sticking with some of that um, uh, community and not-for-profit space, like some of the audience may be aware from, but the Australia Council have a whole bunch of um, digital creativity events that are going on at the moment. Um, so if you go to uh, creativeconnections.haysummit.com, um, they're doing stuff with Google Creative Labs. There's a really interesting session about First Nations protocols in digital spaces, um, balancing responsibility and innovation in volatile times, a um, whole bunch of workshops and a whole bunch of sessions sort of looking at that, that intersection of creativity and technology. And, and as we do start to think about what does it mean, you know, for the next three to four, three to six months of sort of making stuff, um, and thinking about technology, um, it's interesting to watch the big, you know, going from that not-for-profit not thing to like a big cultural institution, asking very similar questions and really trying to engage the community and energize I the think, community. Yeah, I think we're all asking those questions, like how how much of a day can we spend in video conferencing? What does that actually feel like? Why does it seem to take so much more energy than being on a phone? Or and uh, and that feeling of having to be available because people know where you are. Um, yeah. And it's strange. I'm finding my, my diary gets booked out, you know, nine to five, and you think, but work has to also get done. It doesn't just happen by talking. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, Monash Uni are putting on a range of um, really interesting virtual events at the moment as well um, from their their tech talks area. So if you go to monash.edu um, slash IT slash tech talks, you can register for a whole range of things. Some of them are around organisational resilience and technology, not just now, but, you know, moving forward. Um, that's on the 6th of May. On the 13th, they've got something about digital health innovations and applications. And boy, if this scenario wasn't exactly what was sold to us when they were talking about the NBN, you know, delivering <laughs> high quality telehealth, then I just don't know, you know, what was. Um, the changing role of homes during the crisis. So for all of us juggling, you know, kids and extended families and, and different relationships with neighbours and what have you during this time and caring roles. Um, hopefully it'll have some enabling technologies in there. And uh, they're also getting onto the importance of data and creativity and AI. So there, there is a wealth of things. Um, and as well as encouraging you to, you know, tap into some of the people generously sharing their, their knowledge at the moment, I, I guess I'd also say, gee, sensitively tune out at some times too and uh, look after yourselves out there. Absolutely. Oh, 
We yeah. want to say a big thank you um, to our guests this evening, Chandika Jayasundra um, from creately.com, uh, a great Australian software success story. And our podcaster, Yazan Saif, who's being held from his duties by, by the context of the moment, but we look forward to when he's back. Talks producer, Elizabeth McCarthy, um, and of course, the extended Byte team who are all helping test to get us ready for these, these remote broadcasts. Thanks, Dan and Paul. Great to be with you this evening. And you too. Good to be with you. Thanks for listening, everyone. We've been Byte Into It. We'll be back next Wednesday evening. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.